Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. Welcome back to Oz Business Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Just gone midday Eastern. Great to have your company as we kick off the afternoon, as we always do, with one hour of the good oil in terms of the share market is called the call. Um, we analyse 10 stocks put to us by viewers and we give them to a, uh, a panel of experts and that panel is a, a veritable galaxy of stars and uh, today we have two of the, the brightest shining ones. Oh. It's only Andrew and Mike. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. Andrew Page was straw man. Always great to have you on, mate. Thanks, Good, Good to, to see you. you. Yep. And Michael Wayne from Medallion. How Thank are you? you? I'm well. Have, you, have you recovered from uh, earnings season? Yeah, it's really, it's really, you know, as I said last time, it's like drinking from a fire hose. So just to sort of digest for a little yeah. bit and and not have that that constant bombardment is a good thing yeah and yeah, there's a couple you can go away and have a second look at yeah know, with a bit more time to think it through and digest some information yeah. so sometimes you can actually get too caught up in the earnings season there's too much coming at you at once so yeah. some time now just to look back and try and pick the gems out yeah. is sort of what you can do now and we get annual general meetings coming up yeah. soon don't we so is that as informative Oh, look, in generally, no, but there certainly are some management teams indicated during earnings season that, look, will give you a much more clarity come AGM season once yeah. the year starts to play out a little bit more. So for certain businesses, it will be as eventful, perhaps, as the earnings season mm. itself. But yeah, by true. and large, it varies from company to company. Yeah. yeah, it depends what you're after. I mean, anything market sensitive, they'll have to release to the ASX. But I just, I was saying before, that the, the opportunity to sort of speak directly to your employees is how I view them right. yeah, as yeah. a shareholder. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just get some information that just goes into the sort of the, the, the more operational side of the business. I think mm. it's, you'd be surprised that some of the smaller companies, there'll be like six people there. And yeah. it's, it's a really, it's so few people do it. So I think it's a great opportunity. Yeah, yeah, and everyone, if you're a shareholder in a company, you get invited to the AGM, uh, go along. Yeah. You can quiz the, uh, the bosses, the founders, get a, so it gives you an indication of, you know, yeah. cut of their jib. Free cup of are. coffee and some yeah. sandwiches, maybe. <laughs> An old-fashioned <laughs> eyeballing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. What's the what's the best catering for annual meetings? Oh, well, it's, it's actually, it's one of those um, things you could sort of say, the more impressive the catering, perhaps the more worried you should be. It's, you know, okay. they're more profligate yeah. in their spending. So right. okay. maybe it's like that. I can't remember. Normally it's just party pies well, and stuff well, these days. I think certainly in COVID 2020 yeah. it will be. My dad used to run a big top 200 listed company. This is years and years ago. A, a company called RW Miller, which was into pubs and coal mines and oil yeah. tankers. It was a big industrial conglomerate. And um, the founder of it, dad took over from him. He used to put on the biggest spread at uh, <laughs> annual meeting time because he knew question time would be really short uh, because everyone just wanted to get stuck into the beer and the catering. So times have changed, I gather. All right, before we get stuck into your uh, stocks that you've suggested, 
Uh, stock of the day, Phineas Corporation, I thought we'd have a look at. Provider of core systems for life, accident and health insurance carriers globally. Uh, announced a completion of its securities purchase plan, raising $8 million, increased its original plan to raise the $5 million. Michael Kelly, the chief executive, uh, says the substantial oversubscription of the uh, uh, shareholder purchase plan indicates a strong support of our existing security holders. Andrew, what do you what do you think of Phineas? I've, uh, not listed long? Yeah, I've only just come across it. It, it ticks uh, a lot of boxes, you know, um, software systems are very scalable they generate lots of recurring revenue they tend to be very tightly integrated into their customers so it's it's um it's very dependable uh it looks as though the earnings and revenue growth has been really strong i think they might have made an acquisition recently yep. Yep. behind that that raise there so the market um the market clearly likes it what i haven't had a chance to get a close look at is is get a handle on the value but but yeah, at first glance, it's, it certainly seems to be kicking goals. Only recently listed, but the business has been around for quite a while. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I believe a presence in the US now too. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's it's definitely worthy of a closer look. Yeah. Yeah, I had sort of had a bit of a look into it because it does tick a lot of boxes when looking at the, the business and the structure that it, it operates under. Um, it's done a lot of good things. I think seven out of 10 life um, and health insurers in the US use them, six out of 10 in Australia. So it's got a lot of good quality customers that it's servicing. The insurance industry as a whole can be a little bit sort of mixed. At the moment, I think sort of the health insurers are struggling somewhat, but insurance premiums across general insurance is going up, but they basically provide a software as a service platform that helps the insurers basically manage their, their claims, manage it, manage yeah. their policies. Become more efficient sort of and reduce their costs. That's yeah. right. So I think it's definitely worth doing some more investigation into a company that lists, normally we like to see it listed for a couple of years before oh. looking at it, but we will certainly make exceptions if it's a worthwhile uh, operation. This one seems like it could be. Okay. All right. Uh, worthy of more focus. That's right. It is in, okay. This has got, this has I'm got happy me, to back it as a this buy. Is, okay. <laughs> this has got me in a quandary because it's in our core portfolio. So, are you willing to kick it out? I'm. I'm not. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you, you need <laughs> try it if you can. <laughs> uh, sure the, the, the reality is, it just. I often say it, it takes a lot of work to really understand yeah. your business, and yeah, yeah. the more you understand, that the more likely you, you are to avoid a stupid mistake. So yeah. I, I'm certainly not yeah. going to kick it out just on, on the basis yeah. of a very quick look. Okay. Yeah. All right. If someone else was willing to back it, and there's some yeah. smart guys that come on this panel. I'm happy yeah. to back them in if they know a bit more about it. And I think do. the panel on that day um, had a bent to financial yeah. stocks. Too, okay. so, and, and technology, so yeah, okay. I knew yeah. a bit about it. All right, let's start getting into your uh, uh, 10 stocks uh, for the day. And first up, South 32. Uh, ben wants a view on this, uh, Michael. Of course, yep. it's uh, it's uh, BHP's spin-off. Uh, spin-off, wasn't it? All their base metal, sort of nickel, silver, mm. lead, zinc. Yeah, a bit of a motley crew, um, not your right. typical diversified <laughs> miner, particularly here in Australia. Um, 2014, I think this one got spun off from BHP, so it's been flying solo for some time and it's gone through a couple of cycles really in that period. And I think if you look at it, it can be a cautionary tale for a lot of commodity investors in that the cycles do come and they do go. So you look at South 32, you look at Whitehaven Coal, after reaching some lofty highs a couple of years ago, they've come back to the field a long way. At the moment, Rio BHP are doing very well, but their turn might come to go through a bit of a tough time soon. But South 32, they've got 
some very good quality assets. The costs of production tend to be in the lowest quartile compared to their competitors and their peers. But again, some very um, obscure or more obscure commodities that can be very cyclical and it's difficult to right. predict the cycles for those commodities. So for that reason, I've never invested in it. But if you're looking for diversification away from coal and away from iron ore and you want as good as quality Australian miner, then this ticks the box if that's what you're looking for. But okay. for me, uh, it's not something that's ever excited me too much. Andrew? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, so yeah, listed for uh, as a separate entity for six years. I think they've only been profitable for three of those years, yeah. at least on a statutory basis. So the, at, at the start, when they first yeah. listed, it was seen as getting rid of all the crap out of BHP. You have to wonder. Speeding it out. But apparently its management is runs it really well. Um, and it's improved over the last couple of years. Yeah, apparently. and there's, there's a bit of a turnaround. Like they're, they're currently uh, refining their portfolio, divesting out of the lower returning assets and, and, and the rest of it. Um, but look, the shares are today at the same price they were when they got spun out. Right. I mean, in between then and now, they were down 50% at one stage. One stage, they were up 100%. But yeah. that, that, that is, I, in my experience, the general experience for investing in commodity stocks, uh, even very well-run ones with low cost of production. Super tough. Yeah. Not for me. Yeah, okay. All right, uh, Andrew Sally wants a view on Simlate Milk. This is a dairy processing company based in uh, Canterbury in New Zealand. Uh, sells products to, to China like every dairy company wants to do at the moment. And, and the rest of uh, Asia does powdered milk and uh, does the infant formula as well. Uh, a lot of people would look at this and say, oh, is it a... Is it a baby A2? Yeah. Well, A2's actually got a big stake in these guys. Right. And they contract manufacturers for them. Uh-huh. So, because so A2 doesn't own a dairy, does no, it? At all. It's no. just a marketing. It is a brand not manager. Just a, uh, it's a brand manager. So this is one of the producers they buy from. It's yes, it is. Okay. And and um, the reason why AT is structured the way it is is because you have far lower capital intensity, far better terms on return on capital. It's more attractive, and you outsource yep. the very heavy cap, the capital heavy kind of stuff to, to other people. That being said, Sinlat's had an incredible run. I mean, sales are up 40% since 2017. Wow. Uh, net profits sort of doubled in that period as well. Um, uh, they've had a bit of a, a tough run recently. Um, there's, a, there's a bit of a legal stoush uh, going on in terms of some land that they acquired to build a new manufacturing um, plant on. Um, I don't know what the outcome of that is. I think with COVID, that's all sort of been delayed at the stage. There's a bit of a question mark around that. Um, they've invested heavily too in, in extra capacity. And so when you build all these sort of processing, manufacturing plants and the rest of it, super expensive investments to make. Yep. But then you sort of have to fill them up with utilization <laughs> to really get it. So, so it's, it's a good thing. It's a necessary thing that you're investing in that because that, that will be the foundations for future growth. Uh-huh. But there is, it does tend to sort of give a bit of a, a pause to the, the financials growth because at first when you turn it on, there's, there's, not, there's not much utilization going through this very expensive factory and you have to sort of fill that up. Yep. So, um, but yeah, look, I, I, think, I think in terms of um, the, the industry that they're in, I think it's, it's very attractive. There seems to be a lot of growth there, a lot of demand, particularly for things from New Zealand. It's very clean, it's very green. Um, uh, so it looks interesting. The P is only about 13 from what I could see, mm. which seems super cheap for a company growing at those levels. Um, and there's, uh, there's probably something behind that that I'm missing, maybe Michael could, could say. Right. But, but it definitely looks interesting. Okay. Um, look, it's a business that's been sort of on the radar for a while because of that relationship with A2 Milk, but I've never invested in it and haven't for clients and probably won't at the moment. As you suggest, they've 
built up their capacity uh, and done a lot of capital expenditure, building up processing facilities, etc. But the balance sheet at the moment is a little bit shot because of all that investment. Um, so we want to see the returns starting to come through, or the utilisation, as Andrew put it, start to come through. That way they can start to repair that balance sheet or justify the investments that they've made. Uh, they've done a pretty good job in adjusting their sales mix away from more traditional dairy products to higher margin products in the adult nutrition space, um, as well as obviously the infant milk space. So there's a lot to like about this business, but just at this point, uh, we would prefer to, to, to steer clear of it. Okay, all right. Um, Brad uh, wants a view on um, uh, Michael Polynovo, one of our med tech companies. They have a, uh, um, it's a regenerational yeah. sort of technology, isn't it, called Novasorb. Um, goes around the world, includes sort yeah. of breast cancers and, and the like. Um, really highly regarded business. Yeah, so this is actually one that we hold for clients and have had some decent success with it. Um, not so much lately, it's come back to the field somewhat. but. Essentially, it's a new age technology um, which helps treat burn victims. Right. So essentially in the past, uh, what they would do is they would take a polymer or, or a, an animal, if you like, take some of their tissue and they would implant it um, onto the, the human and then over time, the right. wound would heal itself that way. But the problem with that is it was very expensive uh, and also there's a lot of infection involved. So they've effectively come up with a a new technology which is synthetic in nature but actually reduces um, infection rates and lowers the cost as well and improves the end result. Because ultimately, once a burn victim has a significant burn, you need to replace the tissue with something that the skin can then grow back onto. Um, so there's, there's this and then there's another one which is just escaping me now, a Vita, is it? Um, right. Yeah. Which, which is more the spray on skin. This is yeah. more the, the base layer, the tissue um, and Look, it's gone through all the clinical trials. It's a fully commercialized product now. They've done a lot of the hard slog, so to speak. But for them, it's all about now getting out and marketing this to hospitals and clinicians and medical officials around the world. Um, and they're doing that with some varying degrees of success, but primarily good, strong success. In the last six months or so, they have been a little bit inhibited by COVID, um, getting in front of people, being able to present this new technology. but. The reviews from doctors around the world have been so far very, very good. It's just about spreading the word. And, and we are confident this company will be able to pull it off long term. It's probably a little bit expensive at the moment, but should they continue on a similar trajectory in terms of their sales, then it'll be a, a worthwhile company to look at. So worthwhile buying on the pullback? Yeah, I'm happy at down. these prices. Um, they had a, a decent annual report just recently. They right. actually upgraded leading into the results. Then they delivered in line with those revised results. Had a pullback, I'm not sure why. They already pre-guided the market. They've since recovered a little bit. Um, but I, I would like to back this one over the long yeah. period of time. Yeah, Avita is the Avita other one. Is the other yeah. one. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there's, there's a lot of um, sort of medical companies that are sort of working on products that are going to change the world yeah. and, and that. But, but Michael's right, they, they've commercialised. And, and since, they, since they have commercialised this really interesting product, really a scaffold for your skin to, to grow on, and we've seen a six-fold increase in revenues over the last three years. I think it was up 100, doubled last yeah. year. Right. I think it's probably pretty reasonable they could double that again today. I mean, again, they're going off a low base. Yep. But this is what it's all about. Years and years and years of heavy R&D now is paying off. So now is the time, I think, which becomes a lot more, less speculative and a lot, yep. a lot more realer. Um, Michael's, Michael's said that, you know, look, they can look a little bit expensive. Um, and I think the, the 
relative to sales, they're trading on 75 times yeah. sales, which is which is really eye-watering stuff. 75 times sales. Yes. Not earnings. Yeah. Not earnings. 70 <laughs> times of well. Okay. But but that can be a trap. That can be a trap because when you're, as I said, they've, they've doubled their profit last year. And yeah. I think that they're on track to do something similar again in this current year. So when you're off a low base and growing very rapidly, that, that ratio comes back very, very quickly as well. So it actually ranks really well on Strawman. It's about 33rd most popular stock on our okay. platform. Right. And the target price there from is a consensus view amongst our members is about $3. So yeah, I think it, I'm not a shareholder, but I think it looks really interesting. And um, the one thing I would say to people who, who, who are holding this is that expect a bumpy ride. Yeah. You know, this this is so often people sort of make a business case or investment case based on what this can do over the next three to five years and then freak out the second it drops 15 percent, which it will at some stage, maybe more, maybe a lot more. Um, but that's 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 the value in really understanding the business and having a long term focus because they're actually wonderful opportunities. Yeah. If there's, there's nothing structurally wrong with the business. I'm just saying be prepared for that. Yeah. 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 It's you, guaranteed. You wouldn't put the same amount in this as you would say a CSL sure. right. or ResMed or Fisher and Parkville. Yeah. So it's obviously an emerging quality healthcare story. It is very expensive, whichever way you look at it. Um, and we've got clients in probably sort of late ones and it's gone all the way up to sort of $3 and then come back down. It's a volatile ride, um, but I think it's one worth mm. persisting with um, because it's got a pretty good story and the numbers are starting to catch up and justify the valuation. But just be careful, it will be volatile. And these Australian medical technology companies, yeah. uh, Medtechs, um, that Polynovo's one, Avita is yeah. another in the same space. Avita um, is, the, is the spray on, yeah. as you say, Michael, that was um, basically uh, invented by Dr Fiona Wood after the Bali uh, bombings right. well, with the right. burn victims in, yeah. in Perth. And so yeah. that technology was spun out into Avita. So two great Medtech companies, but understand where they are on the development and, right. and, and selling overseas. All right, um, there you go, Brad. Thank you for um, asking about Polynovo. Um, Tania, um, Andrew, wants a, a view on Ausnet Services. Now, uh, this is the group that owns all of Victoria's electricity transmission network, uh, one in five, one of five electricity distribution networks, one of three gas networks in Victoria. So basically, it is a, sort of an infrastructure play, is it? It is. Uh, basically, but instead yeah. of roads buy into the transurban run, this is poles and yeah. pipes. And, 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 and largely monopoly kind of stuff, yep. you know. Um, uh, but <laughs> it is highly, highly regulated. Yep. Um, so you can't just charge what you like. You have to go through all these approval processes and the rest of it. Um, and the, the, the profitability is pretty average. Having said all of that though, because they, they do generate a lot of cash, they've been a wonderful dividend payer. And I think at the moment, you're probably looking at a yield of five or 6% and it's partially franked as well. Right. Um, don't expect much growth. Um, just, it's just, it's not a software company that's gonna grow its right. top line. It's so it's a yield play, is it? It's a, a total play. If you yield want, play. If you want income, yes. you'd, this would be on your radar. I think, I think it would. Now, as I said, if you're happy in low interest rate environment, you might be super happy with five or 6%. It's very, very, very low risk. Yeah. It's very, very boring, but boring can be beautiful. And, yeah. and, and it, if, if you are, as I say, after that income focus, and you're happy with that level of return, uh, it's probably a great one for the, for the bottom draw. Okay. Yeah, it's not gonna shoot the lights and up that, though. And that's a thing when you're putting it together a share portfolio, depending on your age and your risk profile, yep. there is room for these boring, defensive, good income paying stocks that, yep. that 
give you that foundation for the rest of the portfolio and you have a bit of fun with the top end if you like. Fantastic and if you're not after the income there's even an argument there as well you can reinvest those dividends you get a compounding effect that way so you know it's it's not going to do what Tesla's done or something (laughs) like that but but you're you're probably going to walk away with a pretty reasonable type of So if you're after yield would this be a first priority uh, if you're after a, an income dividend return? It's, it's hard. I, I really mentally have to adjust to this new interest rate world. It's, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's taken me a while, but I sort of look at that 5 6%. Let's add on a couple of percent for some growth and that. Yeah. Thing. Maybe I'm greedy, but but no. for me it's not enough. But given given yep. what's out there on a relative basis, it's probably about up as high as you can get with in terms of quality income streams. Yep. Okay. It's a very high quality business. Um, it's sort of the top tier of utilities and infrastructure companies on this market, but it will struggle to grow its earnings by by much in the years to come, particularly given the regulatory environment, particularly given COVID. It's highly unlikely that the Victorian government will approved price increases of a, that people have got used to over the last decade or so, but it does provide a very steady distribution income. Um, the fact is it's slightly disappointed in its guidance for the dividend in the next 12 months, which I think put the market off a little bit to some, to some degree. Um, so you can't obviously expect just because you've got a good income in the last 10 years from this business, that's, on, that's going to be replicated going forward. You will get a very good income relative to other positions, but for that company, the growth and yield might not be as good as what people have become used to. But in a, in a market where the banks have obviously cut yield, this is a business that should be able to provide a more reliable income and an alternative to the financials. So for that reason, it probably is worth looking at for some people, but it's right. not a high growth company. Right. It's not even much of a growth business. And there will be some headwinds going forward in terms of capital management and also some capping of prices when it comes to revenue. Right. One positive, I think, with Osnet compared to some other um, utilities or some other infrastructure <coughs> stocks is people obviously always freak out that what happens when interest rates rise. Mm. Um, but with Osnet services, they're actually able to increase their prices as rates rise to sort of offset that negativity, ah. which is not the flexibility a lot of other infrastructure companies have. So as far as a good quality infrastructure yield payer, this is a good quality asset. Okay. As a growth investor, it's not a buy for me. Right. But if you're an okay. income investor, then you might want to include this in your yep. diversified portfolio. Would this be close to your top of your yield stocks? Uh, look, for us, when it comes to yield at the moment, we're looking at LICs and LITs, right. uh, so listed investment trusts, listed investment companies. There's a couple in the, um, the, the corporate credit space. So there's one run by KKR with the right. code KKC, which basically lends to private businesses around the world, um, sets the, the terms and sets the covenants. And then basically it's like corporate bonds, but in the unlisted space, right. that's trading at, at $2. The NTA is $2.35, $2.40. So it's trading at a big discount to NTA and is paying you 5 6 7%. So that's what mm. we've been looking at, okay. um, as well as some other listed investment companies like a WAM or a WAX, right. which has 7 8% plus your franking right. on top. Okay. So that's where we've been looking, but this is potentially worth considering as well. All right. Okay, thank you, uh, Tanya, for that. Really appreciate the suggestion. Jacob wants a view on AMP. Now, here's a company in a whole lot of pain at the moment yeah. <laughs> across, across the board. Uh, of course, the big financial services group um, just... Um, had management restructure, board restructure, uh, got caned in the um, in the Hain banking yeah. I- inquiry. Um, but 
is it a time to buy when everyone hates it and it's an absolute dog? Michael? Everything has their price, I suppose. <laughs> um, I suppose the downside on is this... Is this for a vulture? Okay. I think so. Like a, someone that's looking at turnaround stories, I suppose if you broke up the business, so the sum of parts would be yeah. greater than the whole at the moment. Um, but am I game enough to, to sit in there? Probably not. Um, right. They're just hemorrhaging funds under management in their funds management business. Their wealth managers are leaving, uh, moving to independent firms. Um, so there's just too many different businesses that are hemorrhaging people and hemorrhaging money at the moment. So it's hard to see a way out for this company yeah. um, in the short term. I'm not suggesting they're going to go belly up, but I think at some stage they'll have to start hiving off and selling some assets, which will give them capital to reinvest in the businesses that they decide to keep. Uh, what those businesses are, probably A&P Capital. Um, that might be something they look at sort of utilising going forward because that's probably something that's God, that is a, an a ugly good, five-year yeah. chart, isn't it? I mean, it's an ugly 20-year <laughs> ugly chart. I think ever since it listed, it's been doing quite poorly. But um, no, for mine, it's not for me to step in. It is probably where like a private equity company can come in and extract mm. value. But as an individual investor sitting at home, it's very no. difficult to, to make much of an impact on that chart, unfortunately. Need some some sort of uh, aggressive treatment. What do you reckon? Well, it needs to be taken behind the shed yeah. <laughs> and put out of its misery. This I, is... <laughs> I was about to say, I think you've got to be pretty blunt on this, Andrew. I'm taking the gloves off. This is the, probably the worst top 100 stock right. that we've had. I mean, they, these, these guys have destroyed shareholder wealth over a long, long period. And there's always been that potential for a turnaround. But there's like 75% in the last five yeah. years. I mean, they probably looked like a bargain when they were down 50%. Yes. And, you know, it just, and the trouble with turnarounds is that they rarely turn. Yeah. And, and that as, as Michael touched on, there's just huge cultural problems there as well. How do you turn that? That's hard. Yeah. You know, when you're dealing with like um, non-people assets, there are things you can do. But that's real. It, it is largely a people business, yeah. you know. And if all of your, your brightest, best and brightest are out the door, it is, it is just terrible. And, and they, also uh, people who are your customers. Yeah, want to have faith, and this is an industry where they you've got to be a trusted brand. Yes, yep, and it's not anymore. I, I did intend to have a closer look at the performance of their funds, but from memory, they've been pretty woeful. Right. Um, and I mean, that's your raison d'être, you know, yeah. to hey, come with us. We'll tell you. We'll look after your finances. We'll help you with your wealth creation. Yeah. <laughs> well, not really, yeah. not according to history. So yeah. I, I think that if you've a, a lot of the time when I've sort of speak to people. Uh, who are shareholders in this, they sort of say, yeah, it's terrible, I've got to get out. But but they have this anchoring problem where they say, oh, yeah, but I bought it at this, so I just wanted yeah. to go up a little bit before. Mm. Get out, yeah. get yeah. out. Now I say this, it'll double tomorrow, but <laughs> get out. Because the, the thing you've got to remember on the share market is that you don't have to recover your money in the same thing that lost it. You yeah. know, that, that whatever X dollars is left there, you have, there is always an opportunity cost. And the question isn't, will AMP recover? Or it's really, is this the best opportunity for my capital right now, regardless of whatever happened yeah. in the past? And for me, it's an absolute resounding no. Right. Yeah, and I mean, they, they were in the prime position along with the big four banks when Super first came in to oh, control yeah. that space. Yeah. Um, and I think what they got caught out in a lot of cases as the years went on, that a lot of them were claiming to be active funds but essentially, they were passive funds masquerading as active funds, charging yeah. active fees. And then yeah. over time, people have wised up to that. The industry's got a lot more sophisticated and they've had to cut their fees and the funds have been flowing out at the same time because having 90% index hugging with a couple of percent outside of the yeah, index weightings works. is no longer a way to say that you're an active fee 
active fund and charging 2% management fees. Yeah. Yeah. So that I think is the issue that they face. So they're seeing fund outflows, fees are coming down, losing key personnel. Imagine working in AMP at the oh, moment, yeah. walking the hallways at yeah. lunch. It's just with the strategic review, yeah. revolving door oh, at the top. The awful, I mean, yeah. What's that like? But what you said at the very start, it needs some private equity guys yeah. to come in and go, right, we're going to cut and sell yeah. off and just hone this thing down to the financial racehorse that it probably should be. Yeah. Um, so they've got so many legacy. Um, loyal clients there. That's yeah. the thing. It's got a, it does still have a quite a good brand name, yep. believe it or not, Amazingly. within a certain percentage of the population, mm. maybe slightly older or whatever it may be, but nevertheless, right. it's there. Mm. So they, there is some value to be extracted if they can manage to turn around some areas, but I'm not the person to be doing that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you don't want to put your money to back money it to for back the ride it. either. Yeah. All right, let's check in with um, our first five stocks and our stock of the day, Phineos. Um, a yes, and it stays into the um, into the calls portfolio. South Thirty Two, the big um, base metal um, diversified base metal resource stock, a no. Um, Sinlake Milk, a no. Polynovo, uh, a yes. Really interesting technology and um, um, well regarded in the market. Uh, Osnet, if you're after yield, dividend yield, worth a look. Um, but certainly isn't a growth stock that you're going to see much action there. And AMP, avoid at all cost. And if you married AMP shares at whatever price that you bought in, I think the message is loud and clear, just get out. Yeah. Uh, it's not worth it. Uh, here on the call, we've got our own portfolio. We've been tracking since July 1. Uh, if any of the stocks get a, a two thumbs up, like Polynovo uh, did today, it goes into the call's portfolio. If it comes up again, and doesn't get the unanimous thumbs up, it comes out of the portfolio. It's all a way of um, how to invest following stocks, keeping up to date with the information, which as investors you need to do. Let's check how it's going. Uh, over the last week, it's up 2.5%. For the month, it's 5 and 3 quarter percent. And since the 1st of July, up 11.5%. And um, let's take a look at some of the uh, stocks that have recently been added by the experts here on the call. Integral Diagnostics, Macquarie Group, uh, CSL, Dicker Data, and Coles have been added in the last couple of weeks. You can check all the stocks in the portfolio. Just head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. As I said, we'll keep it up to date every day. Uh, Victoria may have lost the AFL, but it's winning back the gold miners. Uh, North Stall uh, Minerals is set to IPO next week after a $20 million raise. Chief Executive Stephen Tambanis. Uh, joins us on the Pulse that is in the next hour at 1.15 here on Osbiz Gold Stocks. All the rage at the moment. All right, let's, uh, we've gone from AMP, one of the, the big, great brand names of Australia that's destroyed capital, um, to now Vihar wants a view on brain chip holdings, uh, a technology business currently producing a neuromorphic processor known as Akita, sounds very scientific here, or very um, supernatural. Um, you'd see it in a Hollywood movie, but it's described as providing ultra-low power edge artificial intelligence uh, processes for vision, audio, and smart transducer applications. Just done a big deal with Magic Eye uh, in the United States and has gone like a train in the last three days, Andrew. <laughs> so, I've been waiting so, to talk about this. So, Vihar, you, yeah. you probably, 
looked at this and gone, what the hell's going on here? Can you tell me? <laughs> I only really started, took notice a couple of weeks ago because it entered the straw man index. Right. And it's just based on what people are doing. It's now number three on the index and it's up like 90% in that time. Yeah, yeah. So you think, what is going on So here? when did it get to number three on the index? Just like last week. We re-rate right. every week. Right. But, okay. but um, it's... Uh, For those people who are new to the call, uh, Straw Man is an investment club, if you like, investor club. It's yeah. a, a forum of investors, and they give their own private views on different stocks. And, and you run an index on the, the most talked about stocks. Like what you guys are doing with, yeah. with the portfolio there. Yeah. It's sort of trying to sort of um, see what the community is doing as a whole. So it's we're agnostic. People can do what they yeah. like. Um, yeah. It's performed incredibly well, which is which is great. Um, but Brainchip is is fascinating. Um, yesterday it topped a billion dollar market cap. Wow. All right. And 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 my. My fear is is that this is being driven by what what's probably best described as the Robin Hood phenomenon. Right. It's it's shares are appreciating rapidly. It's got a lot of very sexy buzzwords attached to it: AI, edge yeah. computing, big potential, um, and and I think people are buying on a momentum kind of basis without any real view to the underlying. Now let let me okay. just qualify all of that. Now, See that chart for people says in May it was three cents today it's seventy nine. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Eighteen hundred. Yeah. Nineteen hundred percent in definition. Yeah. Now everything has a price. So here's the thing. So they've got a bit of um, software that does sort of facial recognition and that kind of stuff as an established product. The Aikido yeah. chip is they've put a lot of development in all of this kind of stuff, and it's very well suited to AI. It's very well suited to aeronautical kind of applications. They've got these partner programs out there that are trying to sort of test and validate all of this. They've got manufacturing um, stuff more and more lined up. This could be a, a revolutionary breakthrough in this in this area. Yeah. We don't know yet. The market yeah. seems to be banking that it's happened already, but we don't know yet. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I always find interesting is that this this isn't this is a well up until recently a very small Aussie company. But they're up against Google, they're up against Facebook, they're up against NVIDIA, they're up against the biggest, most well-funded companies who have made very, very strong, deliberate focuses on AI. Yeah. So um, it, it is a highly uh, competitive space. It, it, is, it is far from certain. I hope it does. I hope it does yeah. do all of this kind of stuff. I would just ask people, and, and it, it seems as though when, when you do sort of see things on Twitter and out there, people are saying, buy it because it's going up. Not yeah. buy it because it's it's fundamentally cheap relative to its for a realistic right. uh, appraisal of its of its long term cash flows. Yeah, it's two very different things. Yeah. and what you generally tend to see with these kinds of companies, if we could go forward a couple months, I mean that trees don't grow to the sky, and and I would I would say even if they are ultimately successful, there is going to probably be a very big pullback in there. Now that's fine if you're a believer mm. of the company, and we said before you're happy to sort of talk through all of that kind of stuff. But I, I just think, to, to, to me, it's, it's incredibly hard to value because we don't know what's going to happen. Mm. Um, and it's, it's just, there's so much speculative hype in there at the moment. So, sure, have a bit of fun with that. But I wouldn't be putting, you know, 10% of my portfolio into it no. at this stage. It's very high risk. So it's a punt. It's a punt at if this you're stage. A punt. And look, I think there was probably a, a lot more of a, a rational investment case uh, six months ago, you know, when, when, when you know, the, the, the potential was sort of largely there, but it just wasn't so much factored in. Right. The, the, the trouble you have with so many of these companies on the market, this is just the, the, the flavor of the market at the moment, is that it's just, it's this idea of price for perfection. Things are yeah. gonna go brilliantly well, 
Um, mm. and, and the trouble is, is that when you price it that way, even if things do go brilliantly well, it's in the price. You, yep. By definition, you're not going to do wonderfully well. And, and, there's, and there is that asymmetry that investors always have to look at. Consider the downside. So everyone's looking at this thing, assuming it's going to go well. Ask yourself, what happens if it doesn't? Right. So too hot for you? Way too hot for me. Look, I don't know much about this company, I must admit. <laughs> um, I haven't got much more to add. And Andrew's obviously looked into it a lot more than I have. You've just got to be very careful. It's run up. It's a hockey stick chart. Um, is it valued? Uh, is it worth that price? Probably not. But they've got a lot that they need to do in order to justify that long term. So for mine, I just can't even fathom looking at it, really. Right. Okay. Um, that's not to say Australia's not good at that because... Now on the market, we have Appen, yep. which is in AI, yep. as you know, people are interested in this area. And you've got your Appens of the world, Ordinate, I suppose, yes. with, um, with their Dante technology yeah. for matching video and audio. So there are some good proven companies there that have a track record we now, have some if really you're cool, interested. Really good tech companies here. Australia yeah. tends to do niche tech well. Like the, yeah. the Silicon, Valley, Silicon Valley has all the big, broad IT yeah. applications, but the things that are sort of focusing on, on, on very specific niches, albeit very large in a global context, I think that's where the real interest is there. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, I mean, the tech sector's grown significantly and will continue, you would think, oh, over yeah. time. Technology, one, integrated Technology research. One, integrated research. Just, there's, Many more emerging as well now, yeah. which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really yeah. good. All right. Uh, Bernie wants a view on Pact Group. Uh, we're going from <laughs> ultra high tech, almost Star Wars futuristic, to packaging uh, boxes and yeah. recycling and materials handling and things like that. Good, solid business. Um, Michael, what do you reckon of Pact Group? Yeah, look, it's a, a good solid business has had a few issues in recent years but essentially the area of specialty is rigid plastics um, yep. so if you think about shampoo containers that sort of stuff so that's what differentiates it from say an amcor that's right like, so which is they all more traditional pack. that's right they all tend to have their areas of specialty right. and this tends to be packs um, they have had some headwinds in the last couple of years because of an uncertain sort of dairy industry and a couple of other parts of their industry but they seem to be in a balance sheet repair mode. And I think this year's results by looking at the numbers were slightly better than the market was expecting, which suggests that things are progressing better than was initially hoped, uh, initially feared, sorry. Um, it's, it's well run. It, for those that, that don't know, it's the daughter of Richard Pratt and her husband. They're the major shareholders in this. So it is run fairly conservatively. Um, they are looking to spin off one or two of their lesser profitable divisions. That way they can continue to repair the balance sheet and focus on their core products. They have now expanded into Asia, which is potentially a good thing, but obviously as well, there comes a lot of competition with an expansion into Asia and it can put a lot of pressure on margins. And that's what I think has freaked the market a little bit out in the last couple of years or so is that they've got this big expansion project. Their core business was faltering slightly. So they needed basically to free up some cash uh, and raise some capital, sell off some lesser performing parts of the business that way they can then refocus on that expansion but look it's not a business i would invest in at this point yep. um, it's more of a, a stable um, slow growth kind of company that will hopefully over time spit out some decent cash flow but if you are a shareholder in it it's probably worth sticking with just in the short term because the turnaround seems to be coming a bit quicker than the market initially feared okay 
Yeah, very much a turnaround play. And they, they, I think, suffered from trying to expand uh, yeah. too quickly. And, and that did put a lot of uh, pressure on, on the balance sheet as well. Margins really came under pressure. Um, uh, it is a low margin business to, to yeah. begin with. Um, it's, it's, it's one of these businesses that you know is going to be around for another, you know, it's going to be around for a long time. And they're going to be making money for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a, question of, it's a question of what growth can they achieve. I had a look at the consensus guidance and it's sort of flat for the next sort of right. couple of years. Maybe they can they can beat that a little bit. And, and look, the, the shares are on a P of eleven, which in today's market is is almost unheard of. Um, so if you believe as being cheap, it's been yeah, really yeah. cheap, but yeah. cheap cheap for a reason. You know, people are perhaps a little bit skeptical as to whether they can do this or not. Um, uh, yeah, as I said before, it, it's, it's turn, turnarounds rarely turn, and yeah. and if they can, that is great. I would personally like to see more evidence of it though before I, I took a stake. Okay, all right. So I know for pact, yeah. uh, Melanie uh, wants a view on Treasury Wine Estates, um, a bigger Australia's biggest wine maker. It's big brands are things like um, Penfolds and Wolf Blass, and um, had a fairly checkered sort of a couple of years mm. in the past, got new chief executive now, and also fighting the issues in China at the moment as China is sort of targeting our wine industry and Treasury sells a lot into China, does it? 42% of its profits, uh, not its sales, it's got a much higher margin business in China. Yeah. It's, it's, it's close to half of its, its profit yeah. comes from China. And now China's accusing uh, Australia of dumping yeah. and there's all of that. Um, that old chestnut that's at play there, which is really sort of like, where, where is this going to go? And, yeah. you know, relations are really deteriorating and, you know, we've got Trump making comments. And it's just, it's, it's a, it is a very big um, question mark. Um, and I think that's probably reflected in the share price there. They've yeah. also had a really tough time in the US, which is another major market for them. There's been a, a bit of a glut over there as well, which is which is sort of forced a bit of discounting. They've been going through a bit of a change to do what they call premiumization, just to focus on the, the higher uh, value uh, products within its portfolio. And that's been reasonably successful. I mean, sales have, excluding this year, which was sort of impacted by COVID and China and the US and that kind of stuff, um, sales have been sort of moving up uh, a little bit, but the, the operating margins have really significantly improved over that time. Mm. So they've, they've been doing, doing well, and that's kind of reflected there in, in, the, in that price chart. Um, but at the moment, yeah, f- for me, it, it is it is it is just it is just too uncertain. I think they're trying to sell off Penfolds, or they're considering selling. Yeah, that off. was yeah. uh, that's been around for a while, hasn't it? To hive off to get capital and yeah. uh, sell their most famous brand, but yeah, they keep delaying it, don't they? Yeah, they've <laughs> been waiting for perfect conditions, waiting for a better price, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well, they could be waiting a while for perfect conditions, Michael. Yeah. What do you reckon? Yeah, look, it's a, a tough business because, as you point out, forty percent of earnings come from China, but I think it only makes up seven percent or so of their total volume sold. So, I think they sell eighty-five percent of their sales into Asia or go into China. Um, so they're going to take a hit if this persists for a while. Um, it's just very hard to have pricing advantage when it comes to wines. If you get two very similar products, you tend to go for the one that's the cheapest and that tends to drive prices lower. So for mine, it's quite a cyclical business. They've been doing all they can to repair the the balance sheet or improve the balance sheet so that it's a higher margin operations. They've stopped focusing on some of those lower cost wines where there was a lot of dumping going back a couple of years ago, an oversupply or a glut of wines. But again, it's hard to sort of pick a point in time and extrapolate that 
into the future and suggest that things will continue to be good for an extended period. So for mine, uh, it's not a business that we invest in yeah. and I'm not that excited in it, or despite the fact that it's pulled back a long way. Yeah. If you're interested in that area, we had some, uh, go onto the Ausbiz website um, and uh, or through the app and catch up. We did um, uh, just last week interviews with the Chief Executive of Australian Vintage, which is oh. McGuigan Nap Theme Tempest yeah. 2. They sell nothing into China. It's all Europe and the US, we which read. which would have been um, they would have been seen to be absolutely nuts over the last three years. Now they're going. Well, we've got no exposure to China. Really? Um, and another little one that's uh, called Founders First, which is um, a group that invests in craft beer founders and helps um, gives them money to capitalise a business for a stake. Oh. So they take a stake in craft brewers, where where the the founder is you know good at craft brewing, but not very good at marketing really, and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Stuff and in gin, so beer and two, gin. Two so growth areas there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a real. I thought that was a really interesting. Well, it's what I love about Ausbiz, is all these little companies that are just off people's radar, but which do similar things in treasury mm-hmm. wine estate. And yeah. um, thanks for that, Melody uh, Nilesh wants a view on Catapult Group. Um, if you're a sports nut, you'll know what Catapult is. If you see the bulge in football players, the back of their uh, their Guernseys, that's usually a, a Catapult GPS tracker, which feeds in all their vital stats to the high performance manager of sport. They're in, they're in high performance sport technology. Um, really interesting business, Andrew. Super interesting business. I've been a shareholder for a long time. Oh, you have? Yeah. 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 I um, thought it was just high performance coaches that bought into this. When they floated, <laughs> they did a very good job of sort of giving allocations to all oh, really? you know, yeah. sports high performance coaches to get them interested. That's, that, look, and, and they've, that, since, since they've been, they actually spun out of the Australian Institute of Sport as, yes. as a technology yeah. years ago. But a lot um, of NFL and NBA teams use them too. They're, they're the number Premier one League. in the world. Yeah, and, and then the, the, the world is going this way. A sports not going away. I know we've had yeah. the, the COVID impact, but but we're this isn't your weekend warriors. This is the elite of, yes. of the elite. So they they track everything. So it's really important for coaching and um, and all of this kind of stuff. So, um, but it it has been. I think it's fair to say very poorly managed over the years. So we've had this compound year on year growth of 20%, you know, for years and years now, but really poor cost discipline. They try to break into the prosumer segment, sort of just down from the elite level. Yeah, yeah. And that didn't work out too well. Um, so it's been a super bumpy ride. I've ridden it from about 70 cents to $2, three times now. Um, <laughs> I love it when you share your war stories. Go, no one's perfect with their investing. Well, well I didn't say that. Oh. I, I was, I, was uh, I, I think, it, again, it's, it's a good lesson in, in trying to sort of uh, use volatility as your advantage yep. because yep. I, I definitely did lighten the load when it got higher and I was buying more when it got ah, 50 okay. odd cents in, in March or something. Yep. So. Um, I, I just think they're wonderful opportunities when they come. So this is this is a business that now is under new management of uh, Will Lopez, um, and in the most recent results, they passed cash flow uh, break even. They're EBITDA positive. Their, their, their operating yeah. profit was up two hundred and twenty-five percent. They've still got very strong runway there. This, we're talking before about Aussie companies that are the global leader in their field. That's Catapult. Yep. You know, and, and it's it's hard to catch up. There's very strong network effects at plays, a lot of trading yep. that goes on at the elite level. So 
you know, when you're, when you're looking to sort of onboard a technology like this and you see that all of your competitors are using this and stuff as well, it's, it's a very, very, which Absolutely. means they have higher retention. I think they've got a lot of pricing power. I think they're a bit more of a focused business now. So I'm biased. I do have shares, full disclosure. But I, when I, I last sort of dusted off the spreadsheet, I think about $2.60 is a fair price and they're still below that now. Yeah. So I, I, it's, $2. A buy, okay. it's a buy for me. Yep. Uh, it's a business that's been on the radar for a while. Like it was well marketed when it first came to market. Yep. Obviously, it had the the attraction of high performance sport and and everything like that. But I've never purchased it probably because of the volatility and the fact they were having some headwind and some issues going back a couple of years. But it is an exciting prospect. It seems like the balance sheet is improving. Um, the earnings turning positive in terms of EBITDA. The fact is they've got very low customer churn rates, which probably speaks to the fact that it is targeted to a niche high performance mm -hmm. end of the market. So even despite COVID and everything like that in the last little period, the customer churn's only around sort of 6% or so, which is very, very low, but that's more than offset by existing customers taking up new applications of this product. So I think that's always a good sign if your customer's not only using it for the original function that they purchased it for, they then start using it for other things as the technology is enhanced and there are a few more and more developments yep. added to it. So that's just, a, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but that, that was one of the interesting things at the most recent results is that they saw, there's a big increase in the number of customers yeah. that are beyond just one product. So that upsell opportunity is quite that's material. Right. So there'd be the existing customer base where they can cross sell new yep. modules to, if you like, and then also bringing on the new customers. So look, I'm happy to give this one a buy, although it's not one yep. that I hold at the moment. Okay. It's, Seems like it's turned the corner, repaired some of the issues that they had a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, and this recent result was very, very high quality. Okay, all right. Uh, there you go, Nilesh. Uh, appreciate the, uh, the suggestion. And our final one, Michael uh, Robert has asked us to look at over the wire. This is a telecommunications cloud IT solutions group um, uh, in all the major capital cities and in New Zealand as well. Um, it sort of provides VoIP and goes into big yeah. companies, doesn't it? And say, right, we'll handle your communication. Yeah, so like when the, the big providers um, in telcos don't sort of suit your needs, you can go yeah. to this little sort of niche operator that will get you whiz-bang internet and, and VoIP services and, and basically program everything to a higher spec right. than the average customer. Um, Again, it's not a business I'm that familiar with. The balance sheet looks pretty good, to be honest. It's had some decent organic growth in, in recent years. Um, but I think in this space, it is tough at the moment because there still is a race to the bottom. Uh, there is still is margin compression in most products across the telco industry. Uh, and I don't think over the wires necessarily in the clear in that respect. But again, it's not a company that I'm that familiar with, so I don't want to give too much Detox, okay. I haven't got it to give. All right. And and also when you see big blocks of the share price yeah. not, not change, it means it's pretty illiquid too by yeah. the look of it. And yeah. Um, yeah, so it, it, um, it, the, the top line has grown really well over the last 40 years. I think it was like 30% yeah. compound. It's right. really strong. Right. However, uh, that is very much juiced by acquisitions. They've made a ton of acquisitions. They just made one recently. Yeah. Um, so that, that makes sort of cutting through to sort of the underlying core part of the business much, much more difficult. Um, it's also interesting as well, when you sort of look at their, I, I tend to very much focus on, on the earnings of the business as, as a touchstone for, for value, yeah. but there's quite a big difference between what they, they call their underlying EPS, earnings per share, and their statutory, because they strip out these 
very substantial amortization charges uh-huh. from customer lists and stuff. So when you acquire all that, they've got a balance sheet value and then you sort of write them down. The yeah. argument is, well, it's non-cash and we, we think given our retention that we probably shouldn't be writing it off. And anyway, so it, it's, it's a lot of companies do that, mm. but, but it, it would require a lot more work to give a, a, a firm view on, as, as Michael right. said, because the, the devil is always in the detail here. Yeah. Um, I, you look at the, the, the material and they talk a lot about this tailwind in this sector and undeniably there's a, there's a very strong tailwind there. But as Michael rightly touched on there, it's a very competitive area too. There's probably some um, margin erosion that's it's due to all of that. Once the acquisitions stop, if they do stop, and acquisitions always, as an interesting stat, I think one in three acquisitions work out. Right. Um, another one in three don't do anything and yeah. one in three destroy shareholder value. So statistically right. the odds aren't on, on your side there. And it's also, you know, what's the organic growth like after that? So um, I, would, I wouldn't say a hard pass, um, just that it needs a lot more work for, for me okay. to be comfortable. So with. I think at the moment, they've been doing all these acquisitions, revenue's been going through the roof, but their expenses have been going through the roof as That's well. True. Right. So yeah, I'd okay. want to wait a bit longer just to see how they bed down some of these acquisitions. I think their earnings growth was only like 1%, just looking at my notes then, which That's is right. very low and not the sort of returns that you want from acquisitions. Right. It can often be a red flag that you've bitten off more than you can chew and you're struggling to integrate those new businesses. Okay. All right. Thank you for that suggestion. Let's recap our, uh, our final five stocks uh, from both Andrew and Michael. Uh, brain chip, um, way too hot at the moment. Just don't know what you're getting yourself into. Uh, Pact a no, Treasury Wine Estate a no. Catapult, uh, both yes. So that goes uh, into the calls portfolio and over the wire a no from both of them. So out of the 10 stocks, Finios stays in the uh, the calls portfolio. Uh, Polynova, I think, was already in there as well. So it stays there and Catapult goes into the portfolio. Uh, gentlemen, thank you for that. Andrew Page from Strawman, strawman.com. Interested in getting uh, Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial. Thanks, Koshi. Um, really two of our, our best here on the call and really appreciate them taking the time to come and give us their words of wisdom. Uh, that's our show for today. Look, if you've got any stocks that you want us to cover, flick us an email, uh, thecall at osbiz.com.au or through Twitter at osbiztv. Be a bit patient. Uh, we get people sort of following up going, oh, it's been two weeks, why haven't you got through it? Well, we have a lot to get through from people sending it in. Uh, Also, don't forget the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Now, if uh, before we take a break, get the latest from our team straight into your inbox, sign up for COB, all the stuff you need to know in the day in business, finance and startups, Nadine and Scuddy bring it to you. Uh, Subscribe at osbiz.co slash join. And that full analysis is in your inbox at 5.30 Eastern every afternoon, Monday to Friday. So the full wrap up in case you've missed anything. And uh, the Startup Daily Show is uh, coming up between two and three o'clock where it looks at companies that are seeking capital, venture capitalist startup. Uh, Today they're joined by Mark Pert as he launches his ag tech business, Mark Pert on equity crowdfunding platform virtual. That's only on Ausbiz on the Startup Daily Show between two and three. Whole lot more coming up throughout the afternoon. Enjoy it here on Ausbiz. Back in the tip.